Welcome to the show. In this one, I talk with three Alaskan comedians, Matt Collins, Cass Smiley, and Damon Wright. Damon is still pretty fresh, with three years in the Alaska stand-up scene, while Matt and Cass have been doing it for over a decade. Doing anything for that long, you gain knowledge and experience, like knowing that comedy in Alaska, and live entertainment in general, mimics the city's economy. It ebbs and flows based on the community's ability and willingness to spend money. Cass says that the first thing to be neglected during an economic downturn is live entertainment. And because of the COVID-19 pandemic, shutdowns and hesitancy about attending live events deepened. It's starting to bounce back, though, with more people attending shows. But that's just one piece of doing comedy in Alaska. It says nothing of the long hours of joke writing and the process of joke telling. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the Crude Magazine Patreon subscribers. If you already subscribe to the Crude Magazine Patreon, thank you. For those listeners who aren't, please consider subscribing at www.patreon.com slash crude magazine. That's patreon.com slash crude magazine. And pick the subscription tier that works for you. I want to thank everyone subscribed at the Company Man tier. These are the people who have subscribed to the Crude Patreon for $50 or more. Trina Duber, Seward Brewing Company, The Grind Coffee Shop in Juneau, Derek Adolph, Blue and Gold Board Shop, Sharon Liska, Alaska Surf Adventure, Aquila Space, and Northern Knives. Thank you to all the Patreon subscribers. Your money and your support make these conversations possible. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. That's buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. And if you have a chance to rate or review Crude Conversations on Apple Podcasts, please do. Okay, back to the comedians. With help from Cass Smiley and Damon Wright, Matt Collins is about to release a documentary about comedy in Alaska. It's called Why Not? A Year in the Life of the AK Comics. And in it, comedians talk about their hopes, struggles, and their lives within a small but intimate scene. One that's easy to enter, but difficult to rise to fame. Because there are fewer opportunities in Alaska than in other places with an infrastructure that supports comedy. So you have to create your own opportunities. And many times that means promoting yourself, filling the audience with friends and family, or even creating a comedy festival like Cass did with the Alaska Before You Die Comedy Fest. Matt says that Alaska has big city problems with small town attitudes, but that in a small town, you can build your own thing, and that's what they've done with comedy in Alaska. So here they are, Matt Collins, Cass Smiley, and Damon Wright. <laughs> this red light right here, it means we're recording. Okay, fired up. Crude conversations. Listen more than you talk. Go to work. Here we are, man. The media blitz. I've hit up the Today Show. 
Um, Jimmy Fallon won't return my calls. But you know what? I was like, you know, I've got this documentary coming out. I got to hit up all of the hottest and biggest media outlets. <laughs> Crude Conversations was a name that came forth fifth to mind and uh and i'm so glad that we're we're here cody thank you very much for taking the time to have us i feel really privileged because i've never been fourth or fifth before mm. you've always been first huh buddy well no no i i think i've always been dead last no way stop stop false humility man i've i've heard this show before you've had dr fermento you've had john norris you've had me on i mean you've had some you had joker the bail bondsman i know that doesn't mean anything to damon but that means something to Cass. i know so <laughs> yes so Cass, you work from the coffee shop jitters right Yes, uh, I don't have a home office or internet at my house, so we, uh, I, uh, the Alaska Before You Die Corporation now uh, calls its home at Jitters in Eagle River, and I'm currently in the parking lot uh, using their Wi-Fi, so hopefully a nice barista will just let me be and they won't uh, tell me to wrap it up. I feel like you're, you're really embodying the, uh, the struggling artist with that. Uh, that, and I just absolutely detest GCI and I will not give them any more dollars of my money. Will not. You know, a while back I was writing a story and I had to go to jitters for some reason. And I ended up meeting the owner who's like this really big guy and he shook my hand so tight and so hard. Like he, he crushed my hand. I remember my, my knuckles just crunching together. I imagine they run a tight ship over here. The teenagers uh, who man the place are great. And I hear so many amazing conversations. You would not believe if you come on a Sunday after church time. Ooh, wee! let me tell you, <laughs> it is very entertaining. What kind of conversations do you overhear? Uh, well, the last weekend, it was a, a bro prayer group. Uh, it was uh, some soldier bros, and they uh, had just come from, like, a church gathering, and they were hanging out discussing um, their new marriages and how hard it was to stay committed with all these temptations out here in the world. Mm -hmm. And they were strategizing on, like, how to stay faithful to their wives when there's evil things like the TikTok out there. I found myself, like, just constantly staring at their lips, uh, reading their maskless faces, trying to stay abreast of what they were saying. Um, you, hear, you hear very good things out here in Eagle River. You know, when you're in a situation like that, are you writing things down for for bits and for things to say in your, your stand-up routine? Sometimes, yeah. Mostly those things for me just make it over to my Twitter and then I'm just like tweet shit posting, excuse my language, about like all the weird stuff you see in the mostly Christian coffee shop. But <laughs> it's my office, you know, they're in there talking about their uh, wives and stuff in my office. So it's uh, their peril. And just a heads up, you can cuss on this podcast. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. I figured because it was all podcasts, but I never. <laughs> when. When you meet someone new, and, and this goes to everyone, how often do you tell them that you do stand-up? I avoid it every chance I get. Y yeah, I'm with Cass. Like, I will basically not tell them. Unless someone else tells someone that I do it, I'm like, no, I don't want to talk about it. I'm happy to talk about it, but uh, I don't want to bring it up. 
Oh, I guess that's true. Yeah. I don't mind conversing about it, but I don't want to be the guy who's like, hey, I do you know what I do uh, for a, a moderate amount of not income? <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Dana? Uh, for me, I... I don't know. I think it's because like I've been doing it for three years and I don't have the same responsibilities as <laughs> like someone who's like living the dual life of like trying to be the professional yeah. and also <laughs> trying to do the comedy. I have a lot going on, so it's not something that I'm doing 24-7, but it is something that I'm like actively pursuing the same way that I'm pursuing school. So I take it a little bit more seriously, if you will. So like I do invest a little bit more money um, to to do the traveling and things like that. But mm -hmm. as Cass was stating, in a place like Alaska, you only can take it so far. And as far as like that personality, like making it, making it your personality, I just, you become very annoying very quick when like there's like 12 people trying to do the same thing as you, but like we're all, it's, it's, it's kind of like we, we all get it. We all understand the story. So it's like, it's, it, it it's just, it's a little, it's a little, it's a little difficult. I think Cass hit the nail on the head for it. Which is interesting because so many people's jobs, you know, in their careers are a part of their identity. And it seems like comedy definitely fits that mold. Right. I agree. It, it can become someone's whole identity uh, to the fact where it's like actually like a detriment. Um, I think the difference for a lot of Alaskan comedians is access. Um, what do you do once you've made it your whole identity? Uh, here, there's nowhere to really go. There's no club system. There, um, you know, the opportunities are fewer. You have to create your own. So the idea of comedy as an identity is a little farther away than like someone who, you know, is fresh in a big city that can do stand up every night of the week. Um, yeah, it's, it's a lot easier to lose yourself in the illusion that way. And it really depends on how far you want to take it. You know, with, uh, yeah, comedy has been a huge part of my life for many years. But, um, you know, is it who I am? It pro yeah, probably in a lot of different senses. It really is. It affects a lot of my life. But I don't want to lead with that because that's kind of sad. It, the same way where people's work identity is their identity. Like, that sucks. Yeah, right. Like, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And Matt, I wonder if if you've always been like that or is this a new development because you have a kid now? Well, um, yeah, I'm probably, I'm definitely, I've changed a lot about how I see myself and my place in the world now that I have a kid that is been a huge dramatic um, shift in my life. But even before that, I wasn't, I was doing a lot of comedy as much as possible, but I wasn't traveling with it. I wasn't, it wasn't part of my job. It wasn't, a, it could not be a seven day a week thing the way it is for, you know, uh, a lot of different comedians. They don't necessarily have to be professional, just, you know, lots of ones in the lower 48 to where they could travel a lot and get a gig or go to an open mic every night of the week yeah so no i mean it's always been a very large part of my life but i don't try to lead with that because it's like probably the most interesting thing about me and so i don't want to give it all up at the <laughs> beginning what do you think damon 
it does feel a little disappointing, but in the same aspect, it it, it kind of feels like typical. I don't know, like when you look out into downtown Alaska and you can count the bars on one hand kind of thing. It's like, well, the, well, obviously there was only so much I could do here. It's a little disheartening, but in the same breath, I'm, I feel like, I feel like it humbles some of us in a way that like makes us better joke tellers, if you will. I, I, I don't, there's like, there's this pessimism that Alaska gives to you like naturally when you start comedy and then if you just kind of keep doing it like there is no not to sound pessimistic but it's not so much that there is no up you just have to create your own your own um opportunities and things like that so like they're the trajectory of it feels very very stagnant until something big happens and nine times out of ten you or somebody close you know like did that so it's just feels a little disheartening but it's cool in the same breath you know what I think is really interesting is that if you're a creative person, you kind of have these these really high expectations going into it. And even from what I've heard from really successful people, people that have really achieved everything that they have sought out for, what they've realized in the end is something that, you know, we all are attempting to achieve, which is kind of, you know, to find this place where we belong, right? And and maybe that is a group of friends. Maybe it is a family, you know, maybe it's kids, you know, that, that you have and you're a father or a mother. Um, but to me, rarely does it ever exist in like these like sold out stadiums with 80,000 people or 50,000 people or 10,000 people. Well, I guess that's the corporatization of comedy, like the corporatization of like an art form in itself, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, man, we're getting so deep. We're really jumping in off the rip here, and it's hitting me hard because, you know, I uh, I stopped doing comedy before the pandemic. I was like, I'm, I think I'm done with stand-up for a little while because I was confused about the reasons in which I was doing it. You know, if for all the reasons stated before, it's like intoxicating. You kind of get drunk on it. And then after a while, it's like, well, this is my form of self-expression. This is my business. Uh, and then for me, it was like a, almost like a form of therapy, which I think got really dangerous uh, in a way. I didn't think it was very healthy to get on stage and uh, wax poetic or kick and scream about anything and after a while I found myself like giving myself permission to be kind of a shittier person in real life because I had the freedom to be a shitty person on stage and after a while it was almost expected of me to like yell at hecklers or rip into someone uh use my innate ability to cut with my words to and I feel like it really negatively affected me as like an actual human being uh, it took me a while to figure it out though um, you know, cause there is a distinction between comedians and human beings. <laughs> I feel like it's like, yeah, lovable, lovable scumbags, but like not every one of them is a hundred percent human. So I don't know for me, it's like, uh, you got to watch out cause you get lost in it. And then I find saving grace in that I am so disconnected in Alaska because, um, I did that whole, like, I'm, I'm one of the best comics here. I have the chops. We can, we can go down south and, and do our act there and get the respect that we need. And, 
And after trying, it's a really hard hustle and grind. And it did like harken back to what you were saying, Cody, about like, what is it about? Uh, trying to be a road comic for me didn't feed my soul after doing it. it I found out very quickly it, it was not for me. It's not um, like healthy or uh, comfortable in any way. Mm -hmm. So my goals quickly shifted. So as an Alaskan comic, you're trying to get out of here and drive somewhere else and go to some other gig. And then you fly and drive to a bunch of places and realize not really for you. So it's a, it's definitely like a long ass journey. Like Matt said, we've been doing comedy for over a decade now. So it gets, it gets weirder the longer you do it for sure. Damon, um, you said you've been doing this for three years. You know, when you, when you are hearing these stories of maybe longevity in the Alaska comedy scene from Cass and Matt, is it eye-opening is it interesting is it maybe even like you're listening to a piece of history that maybe doesn't apply to now like how are you how are you gathering and understanding all that information um to be a thousand percent honest i one of the main reasons i'm leaving alaska is not to do comedy but just from the comedians that like i respect here a lot of them told me if you want to do this kind of thing like leave alaska like just just leave alaska Don't, like that if this is something that you want to take seriously leave alaska so that's like when i hear their stories i'm like yeah it makes sense why i'm leaving next year <laughs> i'm 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 leaving for those for like the reasons that, for like the reasons that we've been talking about today it feels mm -hmm. interesting to, I don't know, it feels interesting to like look at comedy from the past and then see the way that it's developed specifically in Alaska because like on one hand, I'm like, I feel like it's the same, but on the other hand, we have things like cast be like Before You Die Festival and things like that. Like there are people, like just this past summer, uh, yeah, like the past summer, like there were so many people that were brought up here as far as like comedians and things like that go. So it feels like comedy is shifting in a different direction here but like being someone who does it and like i've been doing it for three years i'm like yeah this feels like what you guys talk about in 2005 <laughs> this feels exactly the same <laughs> but it looks a little different if that makes sense right because comedy uh oh and live entertainment in general mimics like what the town's economy is doing so like what you're seeing too is like a reflection of anchorage's economy you know there was a comedy boom uh almost when uh, Matt Collins and I started doing stand-up in town. Um, it, there was just more people, more entertainment. And then as, like, the, you know, economy shifts and changes, so do things. And then the pandemic really squashed things a bit. And now it seems like, yeah, we're kind of back on this, like, upswing of people wanting to go out and do stuff. So comics right now are lucky, you know, uh, for even getting, like, shows. Because, you know, the worse, the worse the economy gets in town, the first thing to go is that live entertainment. Mm -hmm. true true but things seem to be going well right now lots of shows lots of people attending those shows which is a amazing uh carrot for comedians right like if you know that you're going to be in front of a big audience you care a little more you try harder and you go in with the intent to do to kill and it's a great learning experience if you can do well and even more so if you don't. Something I was thinking about the other day is is how tough comedy is. You know, there's 
nothing worse than bad comedy. You know, I can sit through a crappy horror movie or a crappy action movie, but I will turn off a crappy comedy immediately. Sure. But you know what the fun thing is, is like you're not watching that crappy horror or action movie like live in person, you know? Yeah. They're now it, it's a it's a it's a it's definitely a uh slug on the edge of a knife, like bad <laughs> comedy, where it can actually be so much funnier if you are watching it in person. Or, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you just have someone who just isn't funny and you're not gelling with them at all but i know several comedians i'll just uh, throw out george faust you know right now who's been killing it recently he's been doing it as long as we have and he is just this oh yeah and alive and he is this kooky dude and he will come out on stage and he will talk about his parkinson's and sometimes he says it in a way that's funny and sometimes he says it in a way that's cringy and both instances are at least interesting. Mm-hmm. Now there are, you know, other times where someone just comes out and they're just, ugh, you know, you don't even want to hear. They're, they're being hacks, basically. So if you have someone who's trying, at least doing something differently, but they're doing it poorly, you at least have that as entertainment, much like a bad horror movie or an action movie. You know, I firmly believe there is the B-grade fun in stand-up comedy the same way there is those other entertainments. However, you have to experience it live. And I brought that up as a testament to the power and and the difficulty of comedy. You know, I wasn't trying to say that anybody sucks at comedy. I was saying... (laughs) No, some people suck. Some people fucking suck. Well, everyone (laughs) thinks that they can solve the Rubik's Cube, you know? The Rubik's Cube, I'm assuming you mean like the the secret to the success of of being a stand-up comedian and comedy and and that it takes uh lots of skill lots of understanding lots of like years of knowledge is that am i getting that right yeah and there's a lot of unspoken things you don't even know like senses and just innate skills that you have to have before you can even be uh entertaining or successful at it so you know everyone sees the rubik's cube in someone's hands when they're struggling with it and they're like i could do that Mm -hmm. um and it's a lot different when you're up there doing it you know the amount of people who sit in the audience and think that they are funnier than the guy on stage but then the second they have a mic in their hand and a light in their eye they can't put a sentence together or they lose track of time or whatever it is it it's really a different world and i think that's only one small part of what it takes to be a good comic is just the stage part of it but it really uh it certainly is the reason why we have open mics and stuff you know not everyone should be getting access immediately uh if they don't know what they're doing it takes a lot of hours just up there with a mic in your hand before you get good enough to open for the guy who's making the money you know sometimes mm-hmm I just learned what I'm doing like two weeks ago. And like, <laughs> I've been doing this shit, but like, I literally was like, oh, that's how you fucking do it. Okay, that makes sense. That's why I haven't been successful at it. I still think I got like 17 more years, but still. <laughs> when I first started, I was a folk singer, right? I'm a folk singer and I'm playing songs at Humpy's and I write a song that's kind of funny and everyone chuckles. I'm like, hey, that's nice. Everyone's laughing immediately. I know my song is hitting them. They, they hear me. 
uh, oh, I'm going to be a musical comedian like Stephen Lynch. You'll see. You'll see. Mm-hmm. And I dead set on this dream. And then quickly, like three years in, just abandon it. Like, you know how hard it is to drag a guitar and an amp to a place that they don't want it. And no one wants to help you plug in. And if it's out of tune <laughs> and then everyone makes fun of the girl with the hacky prop. And like, it took me a long time to even learn how to tell a joke, let alone find my voice, you know. Cass, did you did you feel like the first time you saw comedy, the first time you saw stand-up comedy, did you feel like you understood the Rubik's Cube? Um, I don't know. No, my first exposure to stand-up was like Fozzie the Bear on The Muppet Show. And I was just like, oh, I like him. He's funny. Everyone seems to hate him, though. Like, what's the deal with that guy? Uh, now I fully get it, like, what his deal is. And uh, then I would watch uh, comedy specials like, Uh, George Carlin or Robin Williams or whoever with my cousins and we just had this love for stand-up I don't think I ever thought about being a comedian until after I realized like oh if I'm singing a song and then the song has a punchline in it and then the people laugh immediately I know that they're hearing me and like it's an immediate reaction to a thing that folk singers don't often get. You know, usually someone will come up afterwards and say, oh, I like this song or I like... It's not that immediate reaction. And I think that's what drew me in to stand up. And then, like I said earlier, it took me a while to figure out how to write, like, this is a joke and what joke structure was. And mm-hmm. because I found comedy interesting as a kid and I found it uh, alluring, I guess it was easier for me to transition. But I, I don't think I ever started out like, I'm going to be a stand-up comedian, not once. Do you remember the first time that you got up on stage? Uh, in the school play, when I was in the fourth grade, I played a singing alien in a Be Smart, Don't Start drug safety play. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, we all see how that turned out. Not good. <laughs> how about you, Damon? Do you remember the first time that you you got up on a stage? Um. Yeah, actually, I do. It was in the fourth grade. I went to a school called Tudor Elementary and I wanted to be fucking um, Caesar in this play really, really bad. But no, 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 no. They had different plans for me. They wanted me to be King Tut. I don't want to say it was racial, but that was the only thing that I could play. And I was like, but I can sing better than everyone here. And that's the only singing role. And they're like, no, no, no. Get the fuck in the tune. And I'm like, okay, fine. But that was that was me in fourth grade. In a tomb, crying. (laughs) Do you remember the first time you got up on a stage to do stand-up? Oh, like it was yesterday. Um, This lady who I don't fuck with now, uh, (laughs) she told me that I was funny all the time. And I used to do like these little videos on like Twitter and Instagram. And then all my pages got shut down because I was, you know, saying terrible things apparently things that you can't say on twitter and facebook (laughs) so after that i stopped making the little videos make a long story short they told me that there was an open mic at coots three years ago and i got on stage and i'm not gonna lie i fucking crushed it i got a video to prove it (laughs) i was hilarious i was hilarious i thought that i was the best fucking thing since sliced bread and it was wonderful the second time i realized oh shit that was a fluke you were you were just high on fucking energy and life, and it was just very, very nice. But yeah, the second time I did it, it was terrible. First time I did it, it was great. It was the open mic at Coots. I think it was a Sunday, too. I think that's actually pretty common to do super well your first time 
And then, you know, you think, like Cass says, you, you figured out the Rubik's Cube because, you know, it's right there. It's proof. You did it. Oh, I thought I... I thought I figured out more than the Rubik's Cube. I was like, you guys can't. Dave Chappelle, who? Who the fuck is that? Have you seen me? Yeah, no, no. It did not. It clearly has not worked out like that. What about you, Matt? For stand-up or for stage in general? Let's do stand-up. Actually, you know what? Let's do a stage. All right. Um, It was third grade, and there was some sort of school play and I was the grandfather bear in this family of bears. And my grandma um, knit an entire, like, old bear costume from, like, head to toe. And I was, it was, like, covered in baby powder. And uh, I was the only person in costume. Everyone else just had, like, socks on their hands and, <laughs> like, a black nose. And they're like, I'm a bear. And then here I am just, like, sweating buckets out there on a, a Gladyswood Elementary and so, and then I did like theater camp for a while. You know, I mean, I'm just your your traditional theater uh, kid who went through just like puberty and stuff around uh, better looking people and actors. So it was real <laughs> awkward and strange. Everybody else was supposed to be like having sex and making out in theater camp. Not this guy. I'll tell you what. And then years later. Um, my first time doing stand-up was at Rum Runners, and I just like sped through everything. I had a couple of jokes written, and I was just like so nervous and tense that I it, it didn't go poorly, but I just got everything out so quickly that mm -hmm. I don't even really remember what happened. But um, but it was fine. But you do see a lot of the same patterns where either somebody just like goes up there and you know eats dick, or they <laughs> they kill. Um, and then, you know, but uh, either way, you know, two or three open mics into it, you know, everybody's eating dick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's interesting about comedy is that everyone can be funny around their friends and their family, but, you know, there, there's a moment or there's a thought or there's something happens in in certain people's lives, the ones that decide to pursue comedy, stand-up comedy, that makes them get on stage. Was there a moment like that for you, Matt? Um, that made me want to do stand-up or just... I mean, I caught the acting bug or the theater bug long time ago. I think I always just like to have uh, attention and maybe be in like, control of the attention that I was getting. And I think a lot of that has to do with you know, moved into stand-up now, you know, to where I can be in control of the situation, I'm in control of the jokes, and I can get people to understand me, you know, um, mm. which is which is a really cool thing. Sometimes that's very difficult. I've, you know, noticed a lot recently, and I don't know if it's always been this way, but I have a keen observation right now that people... People just aren't listening, Cody. No, but like, <laughs> but literally in my day-to-day -day life, like at work, like I will say something and I can just tell that I am, that this person is 3,000 miles away, not paying a, a lick of attention 
to what I am saying, right? Uh -huh. And maybe you have like an awkward moment at Best Buy or, you know, j just one of those weird things where you kind of walk away from a conversation with a stranger or a friend or someone and you just like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> In stand-up comedy, you get these motherfuckers to understand you, to listen to you, right? And and in in a positive way because you're trying to make them laugh and i think that that's a big appeal for me is um to understand something and then to be able to relate that thought and that experience to somebody else to where they understand it as well one of my favorite quotes is that laughter is the recognition of truth Mm -hmm. You know, that's it's not necessarily something being funny. It's that somebody hearing you goes, oh, ho, ho, that's true. Potato chip bags are half full. LOL. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. I like that. You know, as you were you were talking before you you said that quote that that you're reminded of, I was thinking of a quote and that is uh, something and I was trying to figure out where where I know this or where I read this, but it's. um to write clear is to think clear. And I think about that quote super often because I think that it it continues to like apply to my life because writing's hard, you know? And, and so very hard. <laughs> yeah, it's the worst. And the longer that you're doing it, it becomes maybe maybe it doesn't become easier, but you form a process that helps you make your way through it. I'm reminded by a. I'm reminded by another quote from a character actor Stephen Tobolowski, who played Ned Dryerson in Groundhog Day. He once said <laughs> yes. that when something becomes easy, it <laughs> when something becomes easy, it becomes beautiful. Think of your own favorite stand-up comedian, mm -hmm. right? And just how effortless it all seems. Yeah. That's 20 plus years of doing it all the time. Like it yeah, it, it does become effortless to somebody that's like Paul McCartney. I bet mm -hmm. Paul McCartney can write a song real easily, right? And that's yeah. how it you know, it's so um impressive and and beautiful. So when you when you're able to do this at long enough and it's not so much a struggle, you know, things can click into place a little easier, but that's not the same for everything. You know, it's not some jokes come a little quicker than others, some instances, et cetera, et cetera. And everybody's process is a little different. Um, I remember like uh, one of the one of the greats, Carl LeBove, who was a joke writer for Sam Kinison. uh famously like held Sam in his arms when he died. Uh, uh, anyway, I, I was on stage opening for him for a week at Coots and got to know him and was talking about process. And he's a big storyteller. He's got a lot of these really long meandering setups and then these like really great punchlines and they're very like story oriented. Um, and I was kind of complaining almost about myself about like, you know, I don't write jokes like the other comics. I, I have, find it very difficult to sit down and often write like this is a joke and then finish jokes my jokes are often like open-ended or can be added onto like years and years later so mm -hmm. i never fully think of anything as finished and carl was like yeah that's kind of how i do it like everybody you can come up with something in the moment 
uh, on stage and then and incorporate it and write it down later and it becomes learned like muscle memory and it's just as valid as writing a joke you know there's the guy who writes 75 jokes a day for the Fallon packets and then there's people like me who kind of come up with things and you know I just don't work as hard and it it really boils down to like work ethic and how much you want to put into something and is it a hobby or is it a job a lot of the great comics you see it's because it is that is their job they're like little incorporated entities and they do everything from like the video editing to the joke writing to the styling and everything they're a crazy amazing people uh so stand-up's weird like that mm-hmm. so i watched the new documentary why not a year in the life of the ak comics and i felt like it was a great representation of what it's like to do stand up in Alaska, but I understand that you can only cover so much in 38 minutes. How close do you think it got to your personal reality living in Alaska doing stand up? Well, I'll start with that one. Um, I, you know, when I, when I made the movie or when I was putting it together, rather, um, my goal was, to just give somebody the experience of hanging out with the AK comics and giving somebody a peek into not only what it's like doing stand up in Alaska, but also the wide variety of shows and people that we have performing at the shows. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, aside from one thing, I don't think that I could have, um, you know, shown that off it any better. Um, you know, I think you got the personalities down. I think you got the wide variety of shows. The only thing that is missing um, were the people that were still doing stand up in front of live audiences um, during the height of the pandemic or, you know, people outside of Anchorage. But all of those were actually happening outside of Anchorage. So as a microcosm of here's what Anchorage comedy is like, I wouldn't change anything. Yeah, I thought it encompassed like everything that needed to be like, I don't know any questions that you would have for that's any question that you could have that seems like a legitimate question and not just the question you're asking because I told you I do comedy. I feel like the doc kind of covers it. And yeah, no, it like, especially like with the personalities aspect of things, like you really get a feel for what, like what is happening here. Yeah, I agree. As a, a part of, I don't, what would you call me? Am I, I'm a contributing documentarian. I took a lot of the footage just on a whim, you know, when, you're there in the moment and you're on the road trip and you and your four dude friends are farting it up in a Honda Civic (laughs) or whatever, all the way down to Homer and back. Like, yeah, I'm going to take some video because shit's weird. And it's fucking, you know, and you goof around and you be silly and you take video of you walking around the convenience store looking at all the candies and shit, Mm -hmm. uh, cracking jokes, you know. I felt like watching it was like validation of like, ah, oh, yeah, that's why I felt the weird urge to take these stupid videos. I I kind of always hoped in my heart of hearts that someone would take them and turn them into something bigger, like a documentary or something that would just show the experience of what it's like to do road comedy in Alaska. You know, the average road comic drives 50 to 200 miles in between gigs sometimes. And we're driving 200 miles just to get to the gas station so we can get to the next gig. It's Mm -hmm. a big, expansive um, 
feet to do road comedy in Alaska. So I feel like it catches that. And also it's beautiful scenery and just it's a very pretty um, setting in which to drive around with your friends and be stupid and get ice cream, you know, two scoops. But <laughs> two, <laughs> yeah, two scoops. Shout out to two scoops. <laughs> if there's a follow-up, a part two on stand-up in Alaska, what do you think should be included? Um, I would do... I, w- I would finish what the documentary was initially supposed to be, which is how to do a comedy festival. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I would... I would get, you know, basically for a part two, which it seems like everything's a go, you know, knock on wood, but um, try to maybe get the workings of a comedy festival. And with Before You Die, a neat thing is that for a lot of people, it's their first festival. So maybe try to capture the excitement of somebody going to their first fest uh just kind of that kind of thing where it's an outsider's perspective um get somebody who's never been inside of coots before going whoa coots <laughs> if yeah. there's panties on the wall oh my god you know there's just i just yeah. see it in my mind these great reactions and you know letting someone filming someone from buffalo um look at you know, the nature reserve or something like that, capturing those moments. Yeah. You should also incorporate the gay shit that goes down. There's like a whole side of comedy that nobody talks about. And I feel like I'm doing it by myself. I'm like, I, there's like a show that goes on. There's another show that's like about to start happening. Like it's, there's a, there's like a, a huge demand for, um, honestly, for like gay comedians. Yeah. Not even just like toot my own horn because I'm, kind of like the only one right now but it's just like that i just have never i've never realized that aspect of alaska like that that like uncornered market if you will that i feel like i'm I'm starting to get a little handle on we should document that too matt i will okay that's great are you over at myrna's are you doing like are you hosting the uh the burlesque show still Oh uh, yeah, no, I'm hosting the like variety show still. I'm about to be at Murders at the end of December, I believe. Like if all goes well. So that's that's like still kinda in the air. We'll see. Hmm. They're still doing the Rocky show right now. But there's a there's like every time every time I do a show, there's like so many people who are like, Oh my god, you comedians should come and do this, that, and the third. I'm not very friendly and I'm usually drunk, so I forget, but there is a market <laughs> for it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, thank you for letting me know. Damon, could you, could you talk more about that? I'm not super familiar with, uh, the gay cultures comedy scene at all. So to be a thousand percent honest, it's more so something that I'm just now getting into. I'm just now looking into, um, my community, the gay communities, um, demand for comedy if you will i it wasn't so much that i didn't feel good enough to be um putting myself out there as far as like hey i'm one of anchorage's gay comedians it was just like let me see let me let me make sure that i'm doing the comedy part right and then i'll go (laughs) over here and then tell a few jokes and see if they like it Mm -hmm. and right now there's like a there's like a show that goes on every um the first weekend of every month except i believe 
the, the November and December, we're like on a little hiatus, but there's like a variety show, there's drag queens, there's me doing comedy, um, there's like a whole fashion show from the look kind of thing. On top of that, Myrna's is starting to, um, they're starting to look for more entertainment, if you will, and I've just been talking to a few people about doing comedy there so it's not the biggest of scenes if you will yet but there is like a high demand for like comedy within the gay community in alaska yeah that's great that sounds like something that would be super interesting to cover i totally agree we need to cultivate those spaces because as someone who's like booking comedians from out of town, I can tell you like a lot of the comics that are coming my way are LGBTQ members, if not like friendly, like they're looking for those, like I would dare say the word safe spaces, but you know, a lot of bars, especially now with the political climate in most towns like Anchorage, it's hard to weed out what is and what isn't uh, friendly. So if we can like find those spaces, we should protect them and start, you know, uh, bolstering uh, whatever we can, especially, you know, people like Matt and I being these elder stewards, these senior <laughs> citizens of the comedy community, uh, community. We should, we could step in and, and help out, you know? Yeah, I've been trying to like figure out something, but I'm like, I don't know who to talk to. I just, I just do the jokes. I just write the jokes and uh, hope for the best. But as far as like the logistics of things, I've been, yeah, no, Alaska, Alaska seems to, Anchorage in specifically seems to be working itself out as far as like what, how entertainment is going to be structured. And I feel like now is the time to like capitalize on that. So that's a good idea, Cass. Matt, in the documentary, you say that Anchorage is a town that wants to be a city. What did you mean by that? I meant that there is Anchorage just puts on airs, you know, it keeps on fronting. Like, if you really want to, you can be into everybody's business. I mean, basically, everybody is. That's small town stuff. And that's not really, that's not a city, you know, we don't have. We, it's the largest town in Alaska. And so we don't have the infrastructure to sustain so many things, right? Mm -hmm. An art scene, a this scene, a music scene, blah, 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 blah. You know, every kind of, besides hunting and fishing, small town stuff, right? Yeah. Like it's hard. These things shouldn't exist because there shouldn't be enough people. However, we do. You know, and I think that every story in Alaska when it comes to this stuff is essentially the same, where it's like, oh, man, it's hard for bands. It's hard for comedians. And so when I say that Anchorage is a town that wants to be a city, you know, we have big city problems with small town attitudes or getting to know you, you know, uh, nosy people, essentially. Yeah, it wasn't just a slight. It was just an observation. I didn't interpret it as as a slight. I interpreted it as an observation for sure. Yeah. Why are you accusing me with this gotcha journalism? <laughs> <laughs> when I said that, I was basically just trying to set the stage of a place, you know, welcome to this place where there shouldn't be a comedy scene, but there is. Mm -hmm. barely and yet we make it work with this wide 
um, array of perhaps not stages. That's always a thing that we've struggled with. However, the diverse stages are a good thing. And, you know, the more we can have, the better. But the wide, well, the wide-ish variety of performers and the variety of shows, you know, that we put on. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a it's a very strangely uh, there's a lot of variety in the scene with as small as it is, and I think that that's one of the cool and unique things about Alaskan comedy. To where it's probably our strongest suit is that you know the stakes are so low that you can do anything. Um, that there are gatekeepers in Chicago, or you know, putting on your own show is so much tougher in a city that's actually a city. Mm-hmm. You know what? That's what I should should have said to begin with. Instead of all this small neighbor, you know, talking behind your back stuff, <laughs> is that like in a small town, you can basically build your own thing, um, and that's kind of what we've done here. And the way that I interpreted the the way that I interpreted it was that you know it's something beautiful. It's it's something like a flower growing out of you know, this crack on the sidewalk or, you know, blooming out of the snow. So it, it's this thing that shouldn't exist where it is, but it's existing nonetheless. Is that how you interpreted it through the movie? That's, yeah, you know, that's my that's my very floral, like, uh, interpretation. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Good. I'm glad that it got that response out of you. Um, that's fantastic. And I think that, you know, what makes that flower bloom, Cody, is the friendships that we forge, <laughs> that we're a community. And hopefully that came through in the in in the doc as well. And, you know, there's plenty of squabbles and there's plenty of, you know, just uh, sometimes it can be a little bit of ugliness. But at its core, it's Me about yelling. having fun and it's about doing what you love. Yeah. <laughs> And Damon, in the documentary, you talk about how you call people white devils in your stand-up. Oh, quite often. <laughs> quite often. How, much of, how much of that is a joke and how much of it is commentary? Um, The way that I write jokes is I write it specifically from my perspective of my life. I yeah. take the things that I consider to be... Uh, the things that I look at and I'm like what the fuck is going on here? Mm -hmm. Like, if I say that, like, in my head, nine times out of ten, I'm going to, like, write it as a joke. When I'm saying, like, white devils specifically, I, it's more so, I guess, (laughs) it's more so to, like, convey a feeling of the kind of joke that I'm trying to get across. Like, yes, this is a joke, but, like, listen to me bitch about it like that i i guess i, I guess that's really what it is it's it's all it's all a joke it's a hundred percent all of it is a joke but like i said i write jokes specifically from my like bird's eye view of things so it's like eh is it a joke <laughs> which is interesting that we're even in a place where we we're asking that question because um you know i feel like i'm not super old but when I was growing up watching stand-up, you know, you're putting in a, a VHS tape to watch a, a person tell joke on the screen. Or you're going to the theater to watch somebody tell joke 
on the screen or you're going to a venue to, to watch jokes. You know, there's there was never a thought in my head that was like, oh, this person is going to be giving an angry presentation or a presentation where I'm going to have to interpret everything um, as serious, as a real statement rather than a joke that maybe has some kernels of truth in it that you can kind of glean some knowledge from. I don't know. I feel like doing comedy in this day and age, that's just the way comedy is taken. It's not like everything is taken as like, this is how this, unless it's like a knock, knock, who's there? Joke here, joke there. It's kind of like, well, that's how they feel. Or this is, I don't, I, I don't know. I just feel like comedy is like a, has shifted in the perspective of like, everything is like actually how you feel. If it pisses people off enough and doesn't get enough laughs, it's like, that's, I don't know if that makes sense or not. And like in response to what you just said. I got to respectfully disagree. Yeah, I think Cass could really illuminate a lot on the history of the angry comedian because there's a rich history of people <laughs> oh, that no. have, you know, pissed off audiences <laughs> all around the country. Yeah, and then like I feel like um what Damon is touching on and what like what Cody what you said is it's it's those are facets of comedy. Comedy is like a it comes in all forms. There's different formats. There's a lot of mathematics to it, uh, to like the, this is a joke and there's different formulas, almost like algebra. You know, you see it on Twitter all the time. There's like the weekly Twitter joke format that goes around. I think this week's Twitter joke format is, uh, the feminine slash masculine slash non-binary urge to do something, you know, that format exists. And then people fill it in with their, it's like a template almost. Uh, and then Damon and I tend to, um, skew more towards like talking about what's happening with us personally and it's not it, for me I could say it's almost not a joke unless it is rooted in some kind of truth or personal truth um, it's hard to stand up there and say the same stuff every night I'm not a writer like this is a joke but then for me that became dangerous because it, it, it's all based on emotion and feelings and if you are feeling a little salty or if you know something happens during your set you know that you lack it's a lack of professionalism almost to a degree in my opinion for me anyway so I yeah I did kind of become like the angry comic for a while I found myself listening to a lot of Bill Hicks and and thinking that that was the route I wanted to go down and I don't have nearly half the nuance that that guy did that guy was operating on like a whole separate plane but when you're a new comic coming up a lot of times you emulate the ones that you've seen you know there's always like a Dave Attell style comic or a Mitch Hedberg style guy in the um, pack of open micers you can tell like that's the joke format that they listen to the most that makes the most sense to them so that's how they start mm -hmm. and it takes a long time to break away from that stuff and to cultivate your own voice um, and then you just got to be careful and find like a balance because nobody wants to be the angry uh, C word lady on stage, like yelling at people, um, calling them names and then getting off stage and wondering why you don't have very many friends in mm -hmm. real life. Because it's like the persona you per, uh, put out into the world or allow yourself to put out is often what people are going to take you as as well. So it's just like a tricky game if i can go back in time i would have been a lot more like positive and kind and tried to find the funny as opposed to like heckling the hecklers and trying to like use negativity to get the joke so getting ego out of the equation 
Yeah, you know, I didn't even realize it was that. And I'm, I'm so astute at picking up when men are um, using their egos for good or nefarious reasons. But for some reason, for me, I never thought about ego equating into much of it at all. Uh, and now I, I realize, like, that's exactly what it is. It's just this kind of, like, pissing match almost. Mm. I recently watched this documentary series about the comedy store. And in it, someone talks about how comedians will post on social media jokes and social and political commentary alongside each other, which blurs the lines between the two. So it can be difficult for people reading these these posts to separate serious commentary from joke. And and I wonder if I wonder if any of you have anything to say about that, where we're in this new era where comedians like you were talking about earlier, Cass, you know, you, you fill in these words to this template on Twitter. Uh, but then maybe the next day you post something about, you know, how ridiculous this this piece of news is. And then as a fan, you're following all that and it's kind of indistinguishable, you know, the jokes from the commentary about the news. Yeah, I think a lot of fans, too, are are only really following you for the funny. And unless you make that kind of political comedy more of your identity as a comedian, then they get confused. And sometimes they'll call you. I've been called out like, hey, where are your jokes? Why aren't you posting funny content? Why is your social media so serious and uh, locally politically oriented? And it's like, well, this is my personal social media and I make the choice to promote comedy or not. And so the farther I get away from promoting myself in my act, the closer I get to posting about like political things or uh, local actions that need to be taken or, you know, the boring stuff. I'm sure a lot of the people that follow me probably have me on mute now because they're so annoyed with me <laughs> tweeting about like Russia or whatever else shit is going on in the news. Uh, so it's a fine line. I think some comics can do it better than others and they really can use their platform to raise awareness about certain things. And um, and then some other Comics with, you know, giant multi-million dollar platforms can really do a lot of damage by spreading like misinformation or um, playing on that fact that you brought up, Cody, about do people understand what the difference is between the jokes and the content? Mm -hmm. And then when it does it all become one thing, one identity? And that's when I think comedy can be a little on the dangerous side for sure. Mm -hmm. To that point, I do not think we should be getting the news from comedians, but that is just me. Oh, hell no. <laughs> that, that is <Yeah>. just me. <laughs> Whenever people try to, like, hold me, like, for, like, the few political jokes that I told, I'm like, hey, I I just barely can spell my name in the morning. Like, don't do that. <laughs> let's not. Let's don't get your information from me, guy. <laughs> How does everyone think or... How do you think Alaska has shaped your comedy? Ooh, for me specifically, um, I talk a lot about not necessarily being black in itself, but just like things that involve the word black, black people and shit like that. Mm -hmm. So for me, a lot of my jokes revolve around inter... Person, like just literally one-on-one -on -one conversations with strangers. <laughs> that's what a lot of my jokes, that's where a lot of them come from. And a lot of them, it always sounds like I was like, damn, he's always talking about white people. But I am, there's 
I'm so, so surrounded by white people. Like the majority, I like to I like to think of the way that I write jokes is like kind of like a a diary, if you will, of like my just like my life. Like I'm right about now. I'm like up in like tenth grade, just like right like picking picking stuff from there. And because my jokes revolve around conversations, it just it, it is sh Alaska Anchorage specifically has shaped my jokes because of the like. Um, political, the political outlook, the, 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 the way people interact with each other, the way politics happens and things like that. So that's specifically where my comedy comes from. So I feel like it's, it's a lot of Anchorage's fault, if you will. I don't take responsibility for this. <laughs> yeah, I've recently had to, um, you know, talk about Alaska a lot. I had to be, I ha I've been extra i've been even more aware about like the things i talked about and the city and the the state that i i live in and mm -hmm. you know usually sometimes my best jokes um are about alaska and you know local jokes get local work but you know i'm not going anywhere so yeah all right <laughs> i will i'll do that but i try to um you know ride that line to where it's like okay is this a little too whale fat follies e okay let's you know take that back a little bit and it's about like damon said just living your life and we live here so alaska shapes you know your comedy a lot mm -hmm. and then you know here on the radio i'm basically trying to talk about something alaskan every single day so now i'm more aware than ever of the state that i'm living in and trying the hardest to highlight the positives mm -hmm. um because just where i'm at um you know it's basically just a a place of privilege um to where i've just been you know hashtag blessed in in my life so <laughs> i'm trying to put as much positivity into the world as as possible you know on the yeah. radio uh, you can endlessly you know complain about you know this uh, these jokers in the assembly the mask mandates you know mm -hmm. wasilla etc 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 but it's like it's a but i'm trying to focus on the things that make alaska good and positive and anchorage especially so i've been trying to pay a lot more attention to not necessarily what's going on but what alaska is in general which is an extremely <laughs> complicated state when it comes to independence and when it comes to um uh, codependence <laughs> it's an independent uh -huh. codependent kind of place mm -hmm. so um yeah that's where it's been coming at for me I totally agree with Matt that you can't fight it. Like as an Alaskan, you're already inherently like a quote outsider. You know, we call them the lower 48. Like we know we are, we know we are detached. Uh, and I think that when you grow up here, especially there's that like inherently like ingrained in you, you can't help but feel like an outsider. And then, you know, you go to the lower 48 a couple of times, realize they got all the good fast food and um, there's nothing cool here. And so when you come up and you do like stand up here and then you choose to go down to the States and represent yourself, they won't let you forget it either. You know, you might've 
fooled yourself into thinking you're just a normal, regular stand-up comic. But when you get to the show, you're you're the guy from Alaska, and you can't mm-hmm. really escape it. Like it's exotic, it's interesting, it's America, but not it's America light, <laughs> um, and. You can't fight that. You have to kind of embrace it. Like, it's just... And Alaskans are kooky-ass weirdos. Like, you, can, mm-hmm. you can't you can wash that stink off of you. <laughs> so, Damon, if you live here too much longer, you can be reeking, you know? You gotta watch out. Also, Alaska is just... It's a funny place in concept. Like, Anchorage specific... Like, yes. just when you write everything down on paper, it's it's like... It's a joke in all the best ways. <laughs> like it is, it's literally, it's just like the the sun and the and the um, what do you call it in the summer and like the ridiculous questions that are bound to come if you do go on vacation or like leave. On top of like this place having literally nothing as far as a fast-paced city goes. If you're like somebody who likes the city life, on top of having technically everything that a fast city has it's just at like a very very slower it's not like a slowed down pace if you will like acreage is it's the the people as 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 like negative <laughs> as i make as i make acreage seem the people here are actually in my opinion fucking hilarious like just the convert like the random conversations that you have with people and like just the out like the very simple outlooks on things like not to call the people simple but just like the very like well, it's Alaska kind of thing. And it's like, well, that is, that's fucking beautiful. <laughs> it just makes me laugh. No, that's totally it. Nathan Hall had this great joke with a tag and his tag was, that's Alaska. And that's, you can't say it better than that. It's exactly what it is. Um, I was just at a concert uh, on Saturday. It was a country music show. And the the man performing, you know, was from out of town. He was like, yeah, I was talking to this guy earlier and you know i told him hey man you know uh if i was a rich man i would have me uh you know keep my ranch in oklahoma i would spend my summer you know winters in hawaii and then i would have a cabin in anchorage and the entire audience went boo and i was like oh they've turned on us if, when I was growing up, and Cody, you know this, like you know, uh, Wasifilis, right? Like Anchorage yeah. was the crown jewel, yeah. and everyone else is a bunch of hicks. And now it's flipped. People in Anchorage were booing Anchorage because <laughs> Wasilla and Palmer now have like the 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 power. <laughs> so we're 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 self-flagellating at this point. <laughs> yeah, well, we always have been, right? Like it's it's back to that small town stuff, like uh, yeah. <laughs> where the, there's been a stupid fucking rivalry between Fairbanks and Anchorage, uh, and you know, f- well, Fairbanks has a rivalry with Anchorage. Anchorage doesn't care. Alaska has a rivalry <laughs> with Texas. Texas doesn't care, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's just goofy. You know, every time I've watched stand up in Alaska or talk to an Alaskan comedian, I always think of old West towns where you had budding artistic professions like stand up. And there were maybe one or two people doing it in front of an audience who didn't always understand it or even fully appreciate it. And, and I know that I'm like, I'm looking at it very simplistically um and also maybe i watch deadwood too many times oh okay yeah okay 
So are you thinking of like the Sopranos guy who like brings out the girls at the Bada Bing, or are are you like equating us with the piano players at the bordello? Well, I guess what I'm thinking of is is really the documentary. You know, I just watched that, and and having every everybody kind of put against that backdrop that is Chilkoots and and all of this lore this anchorage lore or alaskan or even you know worldwide lore about chilkoots and everything that goes along with that and then you you place you know all of you you know the comedians of alaska against that and then you also are talking about uh the realities of being a comedian in alaska which includes all of the struggles you know in this place where you know, that, that is not a hundred percent conducive to this thing. And so I do think of the wild West when I think of all those things together, you know, because in the wild West, you know, you had all these people just, just eking by, you know, they're, they're trying to strike it rich or they're trying to build a house, but then you did have these creative people being like, you know what, this is kind of what I want to do. And maybe there's only one or two or a handful of them. And, and they're trying to do it because that's where their passion is. Yeah. Okay. I got you now. Yeah. And that person for Alaska was, um, you know, Mr. White Keys. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just is. Like, I know yeah. I was throwing shade earlier, but like he figured it out. You know, he was able to do comedy in Alaska for decades until he decided, you know, to retire. Mm-hmm. And his you know what i never even watched a show so i can't even tell you that (laughs) that that his jokes aren't for me but i have you know seen enough interviews to where i was like oh man you know i get it and that's awesome uh just not necessarily my cup of tea but if we had our shit together we would be going off of the mr white keys book you know making like super localized alaskan comedy for alaskans couple song couple dance numbers a little bit of like um right wing you know kind of like Mm -hmm. leanings here and there couple a couple of jabs you know at biden right now or something like that and we'd be doing pretty well for ourselves I would say, um, and then to change the channel a little bit, the guys up in Fairbanks, um, that they have figured it out. Uh, Jerry and Glenner, I think their names are. But they're a little more akin to what Cass does in that they've produced shows and they have really deep relationships with headlining comedians. And And they're comedians themselves with also extremely localized humor so there are a couple of pockets out there we're just um a little more um i don't know i think i think we're i think our egos are maybe just bigger or we're just trying to like we have this idea of what comedy is in our heads and we're just trying to stick by our you know instincts there at at coots what do you think cass am i am i just kind of not making sense 
I think no, I think you're right on the money. Uh, what you're really talking about, in my opinion, is like two schools. You know, White Keys had like the musical, political, local humor uh, as more of like a variety show kind of a thing with local players, and they had that on lockdown. And then Jerry and Glenn are up there got this system where they're importing comedians that no one's seen, uh, and that's keeping their business going because people are like, ooh, a fresh face. And I think that's the where we run into this problem at Coots is. Um, we, everyone loves a fresh face, someone they haven't seen. Uh, they'll even come back a, a, a year after year and see the next, the same guy as long as they're different jokes. Um, but they tire of our local comedy and our personal shit rather quickly. And so we decided, like, as a collective, the AK Comics would branch out by doing, like, some specialty shows. And I think we've really come up with some awesome, like, concepts. Like, uh, Matt, your Wheel of Fire one was really fun, even though it ruined everybody's buttholes because we had to eat hot peppers <laughs> and tell jokes. Yeah. And then we did like a truth or dare one where we spun a wheel and you had to take a truth or a dare off the wheel and do it live. Um, we've had a lot of like fun improv like shows. We have a Christmas show that we do most years where we do, you know, some holiday related stuff. Uh, and it's it's taxing on everyone to write their act plus a whole new act just to keep the town coming back month after month for these specialty shows mm-hmm. so i see where importing um comedy in a small town like this is is a function it, it has to happen and then you got to have the open mics in place to find the people to help you run those those shows and then you know everything kind of has its function the open mics help support the feature shows and the feature shows help support the headliners that come in and the headlining shows help support the venue to give you that place and then Cody, like you were saying in the documentary that Matt made, Coots feels like this 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 big presence, and I think it's mm-hmm. because Coots is almost like its own character. Mm-hmm. And not only the documentary, but in like all of our stories. Yeah. Um, without that place, none of us would have even had the opportunity to exist uh, to the level that we're at now. And even just getting that measly like stage time two or three times a week, and the management behind you giving you the freedom um to say what you want on stage and like you know they've always like let everyone know that they support us and uh, they've always given us a place and so like coots has a special place in my heart as like my quote-unquote home comedy club even though it's technically not one but as you said it's world famous and some of the best comedians in the world from doug stanhope to bill burr uh dane cook they've all run through there uh stepping on that stage is you're joining like a, a, a pantheon of great comics, even though you don't really know it. And the audience has no clue. So it's a special fraternity to be. And I'm like thankful to be a part of it. No, Kutz is a very like, it's a very seedy special place. Like it holds a very like big place in my heart. <laughs> sure. I'm like, I call it my home, like comedy bar. Like whenever I go out of state and I'm telling people about like the bar that I do comedy, it's usually, I'm like, yeah, it's Kutz. Coots, and there's always somebody like, yeah, I got stabbed out of Coots when I went there, and I'm like, that's my bar. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta love it. Gotta love a Coots. It almost does feel like a, it almost does feel like a comedy club, like, and, and like our, like our little subsection of it. Yeah. It is what you make it. Cass, in the, in the documentary, you have this part where you, you comment on Alaska's lack of a comedy club and kind of like an infrastructure for the comedy scene. Do you think that Alaska will ever get to a point where there is a comedy club and a scene and a culture that nurtures stand up? That's a great question. Do I think that a multi 
national comedy corp like helium or the funny bone or laugh factory or whatever is going to just pop up in Anchorage and plop down a club and start booking head. Absolutely not. No, I don't think that the nightlife in this town uh, with the economy, the way it is currently would support that. But if Anchorage saw some real growth over the, the next decade or so, and they could um, support live comedy venue five out of seven nights a week, mm-hmm. then it's possible. Now, do I think um, some dedicated Alaskan, who loves their town and sees the potential here and has the connections to the comedians in the lower 48 and some sense of the business could possibly use that venue to provide an avenue to create something along the lines of Coots, which is more of like a pop-up club, more centered towards stand-up? Absolutely. I don't know if it could survive solely on comedy or if it'd have to be like a multi-live performance venue. Um, but I do think it's po- it's possible. Like the local infrastructure exists to create something like that. The problem is, every great comic that's good at producing something in this town has left this town. You know, like Dan Mintz from Bob's Burgers is a fantastic stand-up comic. He's from this town. He's not going to move back here and uh, and and just give up everything to start. And you know, so it's it's it takes people not leaving uh, and and staying and trying to help create that dream. So that's part of why I did I pivoted to like this before you die comedy festival. You know, I have all these people that want to come here and they ask me how do they do it and there's no avenue unless they get connected with the club booker and so it's just like how do you be the middle person and then eventually that kind of ballooned into me throwing this big party and inviting all my friends and doing some shows um so it's it's just like if you i always go back to like rocky Horror picture show like don't dream it be it you just gotta Mm -hmm. create the change like it's called alaska before you die because i was thinking about like well before i die i'd like to do this and give it a shot so why not that's that whole philosophy is come to Alaska once before you die. Do whatever it is before you die. Just do it. That's great. You know, that does it for my questions. Does anybody else have anything you'd like to add? Um, I would yes. just jump in. I didn't, I didn't get oh, to. Yeah. Oh, go for it, Matt. Well, I was just going to jump in to say, like, we do have a, a comedy scene. Um, you know, it does exist. And it's not a whole lot of people. But if you go to Coots right now um there's new people um you know i haven't seen them because i have a a family but there's new perform people performing on wednesdays and there's headlining comics um coming you know i don't know a couple times a month and it's you know there 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 is a scene and it is existing now if anything ever happened to coots it would almost immediately fold so the yeah. linchpin to the whole thing continues to be coots but if you know anyone's curious about maybe wanting to step behind a microphone and give it a try like the open mic happens Wednesdays at coots Mondays at Vans dive bar um which is even a smaller open mic sometimes it's only just Matt Bergoon, who's, you know, there to host. If you like fans dive bar, just go hang out with Matt, I guess. And the documentary uh, premieres December 8th at 4 p.m. And you can find a ticket link at anchoragefilmfest.org. And Cass, did you want to... I did. I didn't get to answer the question, which was, uh, what did I? What would I like to see if there's a second documentary or an extended cut version? And my answer is more George Faust, please. I uh. need to know. 
how are we going to wrap up this George Faust arc? And uh, he's just like one of the most interesting characters. He gives our scene so much like heart and like weirdness. Uh, a lot of like he gets on everybody's nerves uh, at one point in comedy, but he's just like the <laughs> sweetest fucking weirdest funniest like craziest uh the first year we did the before you die comedy festival he won um the local legends award they have like all the local comics compete and then all of the out-of-staters get to pick who's the best and without a doubt he crushed he everyone just fucking loved him because when you see him for the first time it's just so special and jarring and weird and crazy um you know we see it every night twice a week for years and years and years um mm-hmm. but for me like i i need like a whole spin-off docu-series on george faust actually if we could make that happen uh and then i just i love the idea of following um a year in like you know a, a year in the life of what it takes to make a comedy festival although i i'm not your typical festival promoter or like anything i'm just doing it my way which is probably the fucking worst way to do it <laughs> so like i don't know but it should be a how-to. Let's not do a how-to documentary. The first one worked out pretty fucking good, Cass. <laughs> yeah, it did. You know what, Cass, you should do? Mm-hmm. It's like you really saved the documentary. You know, like, I don't know what kind of credit I can give you other than all of it. You know, like, if it wasn't for Cass and my uh, co-producer, Ida Taylor, you know, it really could not have, you know, happened. But Cass, if there is anything that you want to do, like start filming all this stuff again you know like i i was thinking earlier it's like man uh i remember uh cast like set up her ipad to like secretly film everybody in a green room and yes. uh, once we found out <laughs> yes. you know i kind of jumped down her throat about it and now i'm like you know what i kind of wish that <laughs> we hadn't have done that <laughs> like i want to see you know there's probably some <laughs> i have so, it it's... i got that footage i never deleted it Oh yeah, good for you. Good. <laughs> now I, no, I, I was always the annoying throat. guy with the iPad pointed at people, and I felt bad yeah. at the time. I felt like I was invasive, but I I always kind of saw this bigger purpose because I don't I don't want to be the jackass who's like, well, what we're doing is important, but it kind of is. You know, we're this weird fraternity of dum dums, and we travel around the state in our little clown cars, and like. I don't know we've been doing it now to the point where like it's been over a decade and we've seen a handful of people come and go and the AK Comics itself is a special collective we've had a lot of assholes that tried to join the ranks and then they weed themselves out because everyone in the collective is so nice and professional and like it's almost like a mini family no one's out to do anything but support each other so mm-hmm. it's um it's definitely like a fucking weird special fun thing and I, I i tried to capture a little bit of it um and then i'm so glad that matt you could take it and make it into what you did it's like so special and f- it's exactly what i always pictured so thank you well and um just start filming yourself again you know now that things are ramping up for the second one like if you're in the parking lot at jitters like just set it up like it's a vlog on youtube and i'll take that footage one day you know like i think it would okay, be deal. really cool here we are just doing like a production meeting for uh why not <laughs> too. but you know but but like you know all this stuff that you're doing now like i understand that you work in a you know the way that you work so why don't you just set up a camera and uh, start filming yourself i could probably i'll text you about it later but like if you're you know you're doing okay things for it just start filming like you were when we were going out to Homer, et cetera, et cetera. 
you gotta just start talking to your phone. Yeah, we gotta do that little summit where we all get around and watch the submission videos uh, Ooh, too, because be they're stacking up in my inbox, and I've been watching some, but like <laughs> it's nicer to have a group of people or like a couple people to make sure I'm not being too critical, I guess. Mm-hmm. And also watch some of these people's horrible ass sets because they're bad as shit. These people, some of them are fucking awful. <laughs> that's, that's great. That's my kind of comedy. I like to add the like, the one thing I will say, like, I know I'm a negative bitch about Alaska and all the other stuff. And I made it very clear that I'm leaving. The Alaska's people, when they find out about comedy, in my experience, it could just be like from like maybe this year, the fact that I've only been doing it for three years. I've noticed that the people support comedy. Like the people really, it, it's not, it's not so much that you have to leave because like, oh, no one here cares about comedy. It's just like the infrastructure of comedy is not supported by the infrastructure of Anchorage. But it, the people here, honestly, like I said, as negative as I am, one of the main reasons I keep doing comedy is to make these people in specific specifically laugh like so if the people of anchorage really do support comedy when they find when they when they know about it and when like when there's like not necessarily like some legitimacy behind it but like when when things are like really set up to where it's like this is what it is come here people are gonna come and it's just it's a it's a beautiful thing about alaska honestly and the people and the fans who are here are diehard ass fans too like they'll they're they're fans friends like matt said the town is the biggest small town for me, I was like, oh, comedy fan. And then pretty soon I'm her maid of honor at her wedding, mm-hmm. <laughs> her destination wedding. And I was like, wow, they love our fucking jokes. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash crude magazine. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine crude conversations is written hosted and produced by me cody liska for crude magazine music was produced by alcoda beats 